episode of Books Are My People, a podcast for book lovers with book news, book recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. I am your host, Jennifer Calogaris. I am an author and a college instructor here in Los Angeles. I'm heading out of town on vacation in a few days. We are going up to Northern California through Yosemite on a little tour. And I haven't been to Yosemite since I was in sixth grade and the whole class went up for a week-long field trip. So I'm pretty excited to get back up there. I know a lot of people make their reservations to stay in Yosemite like a year in advance. And I just got lucky and checked online a couple days ago and there were some vacancies. So last summer we took a 30-day road trip that is 3-0 across the country and back. We went all the way up to Montreal and down the West Coast and back. And I think I'm still tired from that adventure. I'm feeling a little less ambitious this summer. So one week is gonna have to do. And by the time you're listening to this episode, I will be back home unless I've decided to move to Yosemite. We do a lot of audiobooks in the car on road trips and a lot of podcasts, and my 10-year-old really likes trivia podcasts. Uh, specifically, he likes 80s music trivia podcasts, and there's actually a surprising amount of them out there, which is fantastic for us. So today on the show, I will have my very first guest appearance, but before he arrives, it's bookish news time. The phenomenal singer-songwriter and one of my personal music heroes, Liz Fair, will release a memoir this fall titled Horror Stories, and in it she will explore moments that have haunted her the most. It's already being compared to Patti Smith's memoir, M-Train, and in the book she explores her early years in the Chicago music scene. Her songs have always had a very confessional feel to them, so I can only imagine that her memoir will have the same confessional and raw feel to it, at least I hope so. I am so, so, so excited for this release. I was 16 years old when her first CD came out, and I was totally obsessed. And my favorite song was track 17, Stratford on Guy. Given the last two episodes, I know you're probably expecting more book to opera news, but instead I have some book to ballet news. According to the New York Times, Jane Eyre, the ballet is here at least in New York, at the Metropolitan Opera House, and stars American Ballet Theater principals Devin Tucher, Misty Copeland, and Isabella Boylston. Jane Eyre is, of course, Charlotte Bronte's 1847 novel, and it's one of my favorite classics. I love a good period piece, and I love a good Gothic novel. The ballet is choreographed by Kathy Marsden, and she says that Jane is a kind of early feminist fighting both the world and questioning her own emotions and reactions. The music is scored by Philip Feeney and incorporates works by Schubert and Mendelssohn. The last ballet I saw was Matthew Bourne's Cinderella here in Los Angeles, which was absolutely phenomenal. And I hear his version of Swan Lake is coming back this winter, which I've never seen. So maybe this will be the year of more ballet for me. So I mentioned last time that this week's guest is a literary triple threat in the writing community. He's a playwright, a screenwriter, and a television writer, and he's my dad. So hello, Ron Clark. 
You forget, I also write music. And he writes music. He's a quadruple threat. Yes. So, uh, thank you for the welcome. Thanks so much for being here. What do you think of my very fancy upscale recording studio? I love it. Would you like to describe the scene to our listeners? Well, Jennifer's sitting on a bed. (laughs) I'm sitting right next to her on a chair. And I'm told not to squirm because the chair makes a noise. I made him take his jacket off because it was very noisy. Yeah. Well, I have this talking jacket. On the second podcast, I had to do a lot of editing out of my gurgling stomach. So that was something I didn't think I'd have to do. Oh, I don't have a gurgling stomach. We'll but see. I do have a squeaky chair. <laughs> we actually have one more piece of news today, and it involves you. You recently found out some interesting information about Arundhati Roy's most recent novel. Want to share what happened? Oh, you think you're surprised by that. I really was. Somewhere in the book. The Ministry of Utmost Happiness. And the play is uh, was the first Broadway play I ever wrote. Actually, I co-wrote it with a friend of mine called Sam Bobrick. And it was on Broadway, opened in 1970. And it was the first comedy ever on Broadway that dealt with homosexuality. And so it was groundbreaking in that sense. It's a play that didn't last very long on Broadway because it got a couple of very bad reviews. It also got a bunch of very good reviews. But the nice thing is that about a year later, the play suddenly showed up in Paris where it was an enormous hit, ran for years. And from there, it then had a, a life of its own and has been done in, so far, I'm told, 33 different countries. Wow. Does the play have a name? Yes, it does. It's called, and was called, and still is, Norman, Is That You? And it's essentially a coming out story. I saw this play in Greece, in <laughs> Athens. Amazing. I, I saw it in the Greek language, and there it was called Sagapo Metaros, which is I love you in pink, which I think is not the most progressive translation, but it was funny, even though I didn't understand the thing they were saying, it was still funny. So I think that's the sign of good comedy. Yeah, that, that's a terrible title. Interestingly enough, in Paris, it was called Pauvre France, Poor France. You have to remember, this is in the 1970s, when this, this gay pride didn't exist, or at least if it did, it was uh, well hidden. But it was amazing to suddenly see it appear in, of all books, uh, as such a famous, uh, world-renowned author, uh, referring to Norman as uh, having, uh, she has been, in, she was involved in it, if I remember correctly. I think I think it's a plot point in the book yeah. where the main character, whom I believe is transgendered, is in college performing a play, and the play that they're performing is Norman is that you? So it, right. it, it plays a big role. I think I have not yet read the book. If anyone out there has read. The Ministry of Utmost Happiness by Arundhati Roy. Please shoot me an email at booksaremypeople at gmail.com if you have anything you can share with us about Ron's play being in there. In fact, I would like, somebody suggested, it may have been you, that I track uh, Ms. Roy down and tell her who I am. 
and ask her how it all came about, which one of these days I might just try to do that. I think you should do that. So if I were to ask you your list of credentials as a writer, I think it would take up maybe five to ten shows. So can you just name a couple for our listeners out there? Uh, Well, other than the four Broadway plays that I did, I've also written a number of uh, movies, several Mel Brooks movies, including High Anxiety and Silent Movie. And I did a uh, Pink Panther movie with Blake Edward called Revenge of the Pink Panther. And I did tons of television shows. And for your older listeners, they might appreciate the names of uh, Jackie Gleason, Danny Kaye, the Smothers Brothers, and the list goes on and on. So I've done uh, a lot. So we know that you're a writer, and I'm curious about this. It's not something I've ever asked you before, but when did you become a reader? Well, I was a reader in school, I guess. You know, I went, as you know, but your listeners, I'm sure, don't. Uh, My mother was French, and uh, I went to French school uh, all the way till uh, ninth grade. So at first I was reading French and I read all the French uh, authors, Voltaire, Corneille, and a number of other very famous uh, French authors. And of course I read, I used to like to read a lot. Uh, the minute he started writing was Philip Roth. Oh, which, I love Philip Roth. I still love to read. The last three books I read it were biographies. Can you share those titles with us? Uh, it would be my pleasure. I will. Uh, The first one I read of this particular bunch was, uh, is called Something Wonderful. It's uh, about uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein and their career and their uh, musical uh, changing. They actually changed the face of musicals with uh, Oklahoma and a number of other successful shows. And that one is written by I think Todd S. Purdom. <laughs> we'll put a link in the show notes. Yes, okay. The uh, I read a Sinatra book recently. I was always a fan of Sinatra. And what made this one interesting is by his uh, manager late in his career. So it takes it from the point where he's starting to lose it all the way till he passes away. And it's a person I actually had met at one point, a guy named Elliot Weissman. The very last one I read, which might be the best of those three, is uh, about Leonard Bernstein, whom I really admire, and it's written by his daughter, Jamie Bernstein. I guess uh, he's maybe one of the few people you can add the word genius to. So that's, uh, I think, worth reading. I might need to borrow that when you're done. Yes. I think I gave you that book. (laughs) for Christmas yes I think you're right (laughs) I'll take it back okay um you are so much fun to give books to because you are up for reading anything especially if it's funny so over the past year I've given you a bunch of really bizarre books and you've gobbled them up and I so appreciate that so today we're gonna focus on some weird and wonderful books because we both have a particular affinity for these kind of books. Um, And weird is fine, but I think weird needs to go hand in hand with funny in order to engage 
me as a reader. I, I totally agree. And every book that you've suggested, which I'm sure most people may not <laughs> may not like or, or, or understand, uh, I've loved. And I love them because I like I like people who take a different road when they're writing. The weirder, the better, as long as it's funny. And I think for me, they're successful also because they're unpredictable. They're not following the normal novel pattern. And so it's nice as a reader to be surprised because as you're reading, you're always sort of anticipating what's going to happen next. And these are the kind of books that kind of grab you and shake you and say, haha, you thought you knew yeah. where I was going, but I took a left turn instead yeah. of a right. Yeah, well, that's exactly what's fun about those books. So today we're going to be sharing a couple of these books that we have both read in the last few years that that have made an impression. So the first of these is Treasure Island by Sarah Levine. And I have to explain, since I'm assuming you're not sitting there with the book like we are, um, you don't see that the title is Treasure Island followed by three very big exclamation marks. So how do you have to say the title? Treasure Island. This is one of my favorite books ever. And the author, Sarah Levine, is now my Instagram friend. And that makes me very happy. As soon as I finished this book, I gave it to my dad to read and he loved it. Do you concur? Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, there's, there's a surprise, it seems to me, on every page. And it's, it's just so offbeat. So this is Sarah Levine's first novel. It was published in 2011, and it's about a recent college graduate who's fumbling along through various jobs. She, interestingly enough, remains unnamed throughout the whole book, and my favorite job of hers is when she is a clerk at the pet library where you can borrow pets. I think this is a genius idea, and I wish this really existed. I'm curious if a pet library existed, what kind of pet would you want to borrow? You know, I don't know. I mean, the, the standard one is a dog, cat, but uh, I guess a kangaroo. Oh, <laughs> that was surprising. I, I like the place to hide things in the pouch. Perfect. You could put all your books in the pouch. Yeah, right. I, I was going to say pig, but now that seems so boring. Anyhow, our protagonist stumbles upon a copy of Robert Louis Stevenson's celebrated Treasure Island. She is smitten with the book and has made it her mission in life to live by the book's four tenets. Boldness, resolution, independence, and of course, horn blowing. Treasure Island is one of those books that's hard to explain plot-wise, but let me just say it's definitely satire, it's farce, it's hysterical, and following the book's core values really wreaks havoc on her already fragile life balance. Not only does she want to follow the book's core values, but she wants to push it down everyone else's throats the same way one might push religion or a new exercise regime. This is a book for someone who can appreciate an unlikable narrator. And she's the kind of character who can brilliantly pick apart everyone around her, but she doesn't possess the ability to see her own flaws. So. Dad, how do you feel about an unlikable narrator? I don't mind at all. <laughs> Not a bit. By the way, I couldn't have said it better, what you just said. In fact, I couldn't have said it at all. <laughs> but uh, you hit the, the uh, nail right on the nose there. It's, it's exactly what you're saying it is. And the, uh, the fact that the narrator is not that likable uh, has no bearing. Uh, you know, I don't have to live with her. 
Right, right. That's what I always say. An unlikable narrator is something that a lot of people are turned off by. And my response is exactly that. I don't need to be friends with these people. I just need to be entertained by these people. We're going to move on to a book called Holy Lands by Amanda Sturves. And she's French, so I'm going to have to turn to you for the pronunciation of her last name, which is S-T-H-E-R-S. And she's French. She is. Stress. I first heard of this book when I went to see the author speak at Diesel, which is my local bookstore in Santa Monica. It was so much fun listening to her talk about this book. It's an epistolary novel, so there's letters from characters in the family, plus a few outliers. The main gist of the plot is that the patriarch, Harry Rosenmerk, is from a dysfunctional family. He once practiced as a cardiologist in New York, and his ex-wife is battling an illness. Their son is a successful playwright, and Harry has stopped speaking to him since he came out. And their daughter is in Paris after having just broken up with her boyfriend. Harry decides to up and move to Israel to raise pigs one day, which is, of course, fraught with controversy. Everyone's mad at him, as you can imagine. The Jews are mad at him, the Catholics are mad at him, and the Muslims are mad at him. But nevertheless, he persists. People aren't writing a lot of letters these days, but the author makes this work because Harry is the type of guy who hates technology. So if his family wants to communicate with him, then letters are the only way. They are all, of course, fantastic writers, which is good for us readers. And each character really has a distinct voice. This is not a long novel. You can get through it in one sitting easily, but it's very funny, and I also surprisingly found it really moving, and it's the kind of emotion that sneaks up on you. And when I went to see Stairs, how are we saying it? Stairs. 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 When I went to see Stairs speak, she had just wrapped up filming the movie based on this novel, and it's going to be coming out soon, and it stars Rosanna Arquette, so I look forward to seeing that. Oh, that does sound good. I had forgotten a lot of what you just said, and I remember liking it a lot. It's a really a strange book. I especially liked, I remember all the scenes that took place in Israel. They were very, very funny to me and very, very interesting. Um, next is Made for Love by Alyssa Nutting. And as of this recording, the title is free on Kindle Unlimited, if that is something you have. I first discovered Alyssa Nutting when her debut novel, Tampa, was published. It was a controversial novel about a high school teacher who seduces her student. And the original hardcover edition has a fabulous black velvet cover. It's right here. Do you yes, want to touch I it? See it. I'm touching it. Touch it. Touch oh, it. Oh, I just, right? oh, I'm touching it again. <laughs> he can't stop touching it. <laughs> her second novel, Made for Love, is totally insane and it has a fantastically 80s Miami Vice cover so down on her luck Hazel has just escaped from a bad marriage and moved in with her father who lives in a trailer park for senior citizens so now she lives with her father and his new blow-up doll doesn't every father do right <laughs> Hazel's husband is the CEO of a giant tech company and for their whole marriage she's basically been a prisoner including being tracked by him in a really creepy and high-tech way this pushes her over the edge and once she moves in with her dad her husband is still tracking her and he is out for vengeance there's also this crazy B story with a man named Jasper who used to be a con artist he had a freak accident and it 
left him, get ready for this, only attracted to dolphins. That's all I'm going to say about that. You have to read the rest to get into the specifics. But as a person who wrote a short story about a dolphin, I appreciated the absurdity of this novel. It looks at surveillance and intimacy and the ways in which people shield themselves from true intimacy. You kind of have to be able to roll with the absurdity in order for this book to be a successful read. And I definitely don't recommend giving this book to someone you don't know well. (laughs) Good point. Well, you knew me well enough to give it to me. (laughs) I know you like blow-up dolls. You like (laughs) men who are attracted to dolphins. It's a very, very, very good book. Not unlike the, the, uh, the winning film a few years ago about the water. The Shape of Water. Shape of Water. Yeah. I mean, it's in that... I, like, I actually like this better. Oh. And you like that movie I like a lot. The Shape of Water, yeah. I think this is... I don't know. I think it's better. All right. If you're going to sleep with fish... Yeah. <laughs> this is for you. Again, that was Made for Love by Alyssa Nutting. Last but not least is Melissa Broder's The Pisces, which has an awesome cover of a woman passionately embracing a fish. It's not exactly what the book is about, but it definitely evokes it. So Lucy, who is 38, has been working on a pretty bad dissertation on Sappho for nine years. Sappho is the Greek poet from the island of Lesbos and is heralded as one of history's greatest lyric poets. Anyhow, Lucy and her boyfriend break up and she heads out to Los Angeles to dog sit for her sister over the summer. Her sister lives in a beautiful glass cube right on the Venice boardwalk in California. And like any good take on Greek mythology, there is a chorus of women here and they exist in Lucy's love addiction therapy group. And Lucy explores her options on Tinder and spends her days with her sister's dog, Dominique. Do you know what Tinder is? Yes, very much so. You go left or right, depending <laughs> what you're interested well, in. Oh, you do know what Tinder is. <laughs> One night, Lucy is out at the rocks overlooking the Pacific Ocean, where she meets an attractive and mysterious swimmer named Theo. They have an immediate connection and attraction to one another. Theo has an equal amount of insecurities as Lucy, especially when it comes to his body. The problem is that he is a merman, and everything she thought she knew about love is thrown into question. Broder is behind the Twitter account at So Sad Today, which chronicles her struggles with anxiety and depression. And the name So Sad Today comes from her collection of essays on the same topic published in 2016. I think she does a great job mythologizing these struggles in her novel, The Pisces. This is a book for fans of, like we said, The Shape of Water, For people who enjoy retellings of myths, this is not a straight retelling, but definitely inspired by mythology. And the narratorial voice is confessional. So if you're a fan of that style of writing, of the immediate intimacy it affords, then this might be the book for you. So we're at the end. So before we leave, I just wanted to ask, what are you reading now? Right now? Right now. Uh, Absolutely nothing. Who's that by? Just kidding. (laughs) It's always by me. A lot of my time is taken up with writing as opposed to reading. So I'm still uh, working on a play, a new play of mine. And uh, I'm also trying to write my biography. Which I'm so excited about. Which is taking forever. Interestingly enough, uh, I got a, a 
couple of hundred pages and I'm, I'm only up to where I'm starting to be successful. Oh, so this could be like a 2,000-page autobiography. I, I doubt it. The struggling, which was not funny at the time, is now hilarious to me. <laughs> and hopefully it'll be like that for others. So we shall see. The title of my uh, eventual book is uh, Funny You Should Ask. Uh, and the subtitle is How a French-Canadian Catholic Kid from Montreal became an, an American Jewish comedy writer in Hollywood. <laughs> That's great. Which is a, another book in itself. Excellent. I like yeah. a book with a long title. <laughs> I am reading A.M. Holmes's This Book Will Save Your Life, and I think I will pass it along to you when I'm done, because I think it's up your alley. I'm only about a third of the way through. It takes place in L.A., and it is definitely both weird and wonderful. So maybe we can have you back to talk about that when we've both read it. Weird and wonderful. I'm in. So, Dad, what's your contact info on Twitter? Oh, I don't even know if I have one. You do. You have a Twitter account. I do. And it's at writer Ron Clark. So you can be ignored by my dad there because he doesn't check it very often. You can follow me on Instagram at Jennifer Calogeras. Email me with recommendations and questions at booksaremypeople.com. And visit booksaremypeople.com if you are a publisher or writer and want to send me your galleys. So that's it. We're done. Okay. Thanks so much for being here today. Very, very well. You can get out of bed now.